go ahead and, and introduce yourself, and, and you got some phenomenal books out there, so tell them about these books as well. All right. I'm the dead guy, <laughs> and I was actually introduced that way one time. Here's the dead guy. Well, I was, but I'm not anymore. Um, hey, I'm glad to be here. What a great time we've had today in the 830 service, the one in the middle, and, and this one. Uh, let me just say this to those of you who are visiting today. Um, wow, everybody needs a church home. Everybody. We couldn't have gotten through what we went through without one. Mm -hmm. And let me recommend this one here. Uh, one, of the, one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that's not often talked about is the gift of hospitality. It's in there. It's in the Bible. And you have it here. And I've enjoyed it, being with Pastor Dwayne, Pastor Frankie. So come back when I'm not here. I, I wrote this book. It's the first book I wrote. And I wrote it so I wouldn't have to talk about it. Sorry. That is Awkward. not going well. <laughs> no, just well, you know, the first line of the book is, I wrote this book in self-defense. And what I meant was, you'll hear the story in a minute, is if I write the book, would you not ask me about this anymore? I don't want to go back over this again. But you know, sometimes you try to put something behind you and God puts that in front of you. That is the thing he wants to use. And so this book is the, is the biography. It's the story of what happens. We have a few of the large, no, I don't think we have any large print. We have some children's edition of this book. And then there's an audio edition if you'd rather listen to it. And this, incidentally, is the, is the movie book cover, not the regular book cover. But it's, it's the same book. It just has a lot more stuff in it because the movie came out last year. Um, my life is not only for sale at Walmart, it's like a movie now, so. And I'm played in the movie by uh, Hayden Christensen, the young man who used to play uh, Anakin Skywalker in the Star Wars movies. And uh, so my kids have started calling me Darth Preacher. <laughs> I'm not sure about that. I'm trying to breathe <sighs> heavy. And Eva is played in the movie by uh, Kate Bosworth. Great movie, Michael W. Smith. He wrote the music. He's in the movie. Dwight Yoakam is in the movie. Uh, Senator Fred Thompson, this was the last movie he ever made, and he has a very crucial part of the movie, so um, it's, a, it's very humbling. Uh, this is my devotional book. It, it has 90 stories, one a day for three months, and uh, some of my very favorite stories ever are in this book uh, about heaven and people's personal experience. Good way to start the day. They're only about five minutes long. Uh, this is Eva's book. Uh, People really badgered her uh, about telling her story because she's, she's the hero of the story. I'm not. I survived this accident, and she overcame the accident. We have three children, and um, she was teaching school in Alvin. She had to keep teaching school because we needed the insurance to pay for the $6 million it took to put me back together again. And, uh, and then I, I, she did things for me that no human should ever have to do for another. She's the hero of the story. That's her book. This is Heaven is Real. This is the most personal thing to me. I drove on the end of a bridge one morning on my way to church. Uh, a, a, a husband and a, and a, a pastor and, and a father. And I drove off the other end of the bridge in the back of an ambulance. And I would never be the same again. This, this book is about crossing bridges. How do you get to the other side of a tragedy or pain or suffering. And then this is the last book I released. It's called Getting to Heaven, Departing Instructions for Your Life Now. Jesus not only built us a better place, he told us how to live on the way to the place. These are his instructions from John chapter 13 through 17. 
So we consider these um, ministry resources. Uh, I have a nonprofit ministry and all the profits from book sales and everything else, offerings uh, goes to support 30 other ministries around the world. I don't do this for a living, it's too hard. Um, traveling, speaking, I do it because it's a calling. And we're trying to get people into heaven and help them have a better trip on the way. Isn't that good? Okay, Pastor Don, on, on January the 18th, 1989, uh, your life changed forever. It did. Tell us what happened. I got killed on the way to church. Uh, no, don't laugh. You came to church. You're getting ready to leave in a little while. <laughs> you, and, and here's the thing while you're laughing. You better be ready for what happens next. Because if you can get killed on the way to church... You better be ready all the time. I was at a pastor's conference north of here at a, a big encampment called Trinity Pines uh, on Lake Livingston, and I'd been there for three days with a lot of other pastors. It ended on that morning, January 18th, 1989. We got in our cars. It was a cold, rainy day, really a miserable day, but we're on our way to church, all of us. We got Bible study that night at church or prayer meeting or whatever it was called. And uh, I, I had been working on some sermons while I was there. I had a stack of them on the seat beside me. Because the next Sunday morning, I was going to begin a new sermon series. Didn't ever preach any of those sermons uh, that I wrote. Um, I do only have one copy of one of those sermons left. And that's only because the policeman saw it scattered all over the bridge and picked it up and gave it to my family. It's a sermon called, I Believe in a Great God. I have it at home in my office. It's covered in my dried blood. Well, if you turn out of the gates of Trinity Pines, you turn right, you have to cross Lake Livingston. And in those days, it was a lot higher than it is now, and it had no vegetation. It was a wide open lake. So I'm driving across, and in the distance, I saw this old bridge. And I'd never seen it before, because I'd never gone that way before. The bridge is still there on Texas 19. Um, it's not used anymore. It just sets off to the side. If you wonder why they never tore it down, it actually looks better now than it ever has. It's because they refurbished it. It's a memorial bridge. It was built originally to honor veterans of World War I. Now it's just all veterans. So I was driving across that very narrow bridge, and uh, I'm almost off the end of the bridge, uh, headed to, to Alvin, which is where my church was, and uh, coming down the embankment from the opposite direction at the high rate of speed is a prison truck, an 18-wheeler. And he's coming over the hill very fast. He said a car pulled out from a boat launch at the side of the bridge, and he knows he cannot slow that truck down. He's going to hit the car. His, alt his alternate is to go around the car in oncoming traffic. He cannot see down the bridge. The superstructure of the bridge is in his way. So he decides to do that in a split second, just a split second, and he hits me head on. Uh, the nine wheels on the driver's side of the truck roll over the truck, crush it, shove it up against the railing of the bridge. He went off the other end, struck two more cars, and so there's now a horrible four-car pileup on the Trinity River Bridge. And I'm dead. Well, the paramedics got there eventually, four of them, uh, police, ambulances, and they discovered miraculously that nobody else was hurt in this accident. They're treated and released, the other victims. So four paramedics end up working on me. Well, that's very rare, but they had nobody else to work on, and they're feverishly trying to save my life. They're trying to resuscitate me, trying to bring me back heroically. They're doing things that you would not normally do. In spite of their best efforts, I was pronounced dead on the scene by the paramedics, which 
always brings up an interesting question to me. What am I doing in the woodlands? I mean, how did I get here if I was killed there? And I, I would ask you really to search your heart today. What are you doing here? I don't mean working, living. I'm talking about what do you have to show for your life up to this point in time? I promise we'll, we'll come back to that. Mm-hmm. Well, the body's covered up. You saw the picture in the car on the front page of the Huntsville paper, and I'm, I'm under the tarp. They're waiting out for a medical examiner, hor- horrible wreck. You can't move a body without having an investigation because it's a fatality. So I'm, I'm lying there under the tarp, and the, the traffic's backing up in the other direction, and uh, there's a lot of preachers back there, pastors. They're trying to get to their churches to lead Wednesday night services. One of those guys is a guy named Dick Onorecker. This is an actor who plays him in the movie, Marshall, and that is actually a slide from the movie. You could see the pastor having left his car down at the other end, past the truck, and, and, and walking towards the policeman. Um, he asked the policeman if he could pray for victims, and he's told there's no one to pray for. All the other victims are okay. I am a fatality. There's no one to pray for. And God speaks to the preacher, which I think is a good thing. Don't we? Here we go. So I want a preacher that God speaks to, and I want to be one. But I think this, I think God is speaking a lot more than we are all listening. He was speaking on the bridge that day, and Dick was listening, and, and, and God said, pray for the man in the red car. That would have been me, the fatality. So he gets permission, and really has to be pretty forceful to do so, to get in the car over the body. You could see in that bottom frame, that's him leaning between the seats because he couldn't come in from any other direction. And he puts his hand on my shoulder and prays because the only thing I did not break in the accident is my right arm. That's the only thing. So he's reaching behind. He has his hand on my shoulder. He's praying like passionately, desperately. He's not the only one praying by this time because they found my ID and they called my home. Well, Eva was teaching school in Alvin at Stevenson Elementary, so they didn't know where she was. They did find my business card and called South Park Church in Alvin. They told them I'd been in an awful wreck, but not that I was dead, because you have to notify next of kin before you talk to anyone else about death. So the church launches into this massive prayer meeting, starts calling every church in the phone book, the Houston phone book. This spreads nationwide, and I assure you, I'm still meeting people 27 years later who prayed for me that day, and I'm meeting them for the first time. I met several last year. So they're all praying, and God is listening. This goes on for an hour and a half. The reason we know this is because the accident happened at 11.45. At 1.15 in the afternoon, Dick Honorecker's in the car, he has now begun to sing prayers. You just did some. And he's singing a really old prayer called, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Holding onto my right shoulder under the tarp in the dark. When suddenly, without any warning, I started singing the song with him. He got out of the car really fast. <laughs> well, you would too. Some of us faster than others. He went over to that policeman, and he said, Officer, the dead man is singing. And nobody <laughs> believed that, but it was true. So he finally convinced the people there to come and check on me. They just kind of humored him. When they did, they found out I was alive. Uh, it took a great deal to extricate me from the car. We have, we have the slides of the, of the car itself in the wrecking yard. It, it, they had to tear it apart. Removing a living person from a car like that is very difficult. So they had to dismantle the car. This next one, you can actually see us where the, the steering wheel impaled in my chest. This was before airbags. So I had massive internal injuries, uh, brain damage, 
Uh, I was a genius before this. And, that, so, and the dashboard collapsed on both of my legs, so my right leg no longer went this direction, it went the opposite direction. And it hit right above my left leg and just imploded my left leg. Four and a half inches of femur was ejected from the car and never found. I put my arm up when the truck was coming for me and that's the moment it ran over me and took my left arm, separated into the back seat of the car and from here forward was lying on the back seat of the car. Um, hor horrible accident. As close as they could, they got me in one piece, took me to a series of hospitals because they couldn't, the hospitals weren't equipped to deal with my injuries. And from that 1145 accident, I, I wound up at the level one trauma center in Houston Memorial Hermann Hospital at 6.15 that night. Those are the other hospitals I went to. So six and a half hours after the wreck, I'm in a hospital. And I would be in a hospital bed from that night forward for 13 months and have 34 major operations to try to reassemble me from head to toe. So this is a story about answered prayer. I think God is a God who answers our prayers. Uh, I am an answer prayer. I had nothing to do with my survival. I believe in miracles. I think God is doing some of his best stuff now. And that's important because if you live long enough, you're going to need one. Maybe you need one today. Well, God is still in the miracle business, and I know that. And it's a story about overcoming because I was never going to be the same again. I had to decide that even though I'd been knocked down, I wasn't going to be knocked out. And God told me very directly I was going to have to turn my pain into a purpose I had to take the test and make a testimony that was going to bless other people and get out of myself and my own pity party over the condition that I lived in. And let's face it, you can do that. Through the divorce or the bankruptcy or the hurricane or whatever it is, the loss of a loved one, um, it's better, it's, it's, this is bitter, this is better. And that's what I had to find out. I had to get it by truck to figure that out. I hope you don't. But... It's also a story about heaven. I saw heaven. The moment the truck struck me, I took my last breath on that bridge. I took my next breath at the gates of heaven. The Bible says to be absent of the body is to be present with the Lord. And I found that to be true. You, you died in the car. You're absent from the body. You're in heaven. What did you see? First thing I saw was my grandfather's face. Uh, we were very close. Uh, my dad was a career military, so he was gone most of the time. So Papa was kind of the role model in my family, and he was a good one. He didn't have any education. He, he, he could barely read or write. I mostly signed for him because he, you know, when he would get lumber, I'd have to sign. I thought he couldn't see, and I found that later on he couldn't write. I adored him. He, he, take, he took lumber and nails and made things like this. And I, some of them are still standing. Um, one night he died. He just died. He had a heart attack. I rode with him in the ambulance to the hospital. I was standing outside the door when the doctor came out and said I did everything I could. I do have a lot of broken bones, but nothing hurts like a broken heart. When Papa died, it just broke my heart. Last time I saw him, he was in a casket at his funeral. He did not look good. Now I'm standing at the gates of heaven, and there he is. And he looked really, really good. If you want to look really, really good, heaven is where you want to be. <laughs> and 
I mean, he had scars all over him. I mean, think of all the, I mean, he was a welder and a lumberjack during the Depression. I mean, he, he was a scarred man. He didn't have a scratch on him. He was, he was missing fingers on both of his hands from all these industrial things he did. But he reached his hands out to me when he saw me. He knew I was coming. And he said, welcome home, Donnie. That was his name for me, Donnie. In a language I've never heard before but fully understood, heaven has its own language. It's, you speak God. And I, he's welcoming me home and embraced me. And I looked down at the hands that used to hold me where the fingers were missing and all of his fingers were there. I'd never seen them before. He was perfect. We'll be in heaven the way God intended for us to be before life has put its scars on us. I, I'm covered in scars from the neck down, really. And I didn't have a scratch on me in heaven. I believe there's only one person in heaven with scars, and that's Jesus Christ, to remind the rest of us of how we got there. We've talked about this, Pastor. I, I, I've heard that the only man-made thing in heaven are the scars of Jesus. Everything else is of God. It's his place. Mm -hmm. So Papa was there, and he looked great. My great-grandmother was there, Hattie. Uh, a couple of my friends from high school who were killed in tragic accidents in high school uh, Barry and Mike were there, my next-door neighbor, Miss Norris. There were teachers, aunts and uncles. Many of these people did not know each other on earth, but in heaven they surely did. You don't get introduced in heaven. Everybody knows each other. You know as you are known here on earth. And uh, it was a spectacular reunion. It was awesome, and they were all beautiful, and they were all whole, and I was at home. When I saw their faces, I knew where I was. I was in the home that's prepared for us, and I, I didn't want to come back here. These, you, you saw your, your, your grandfather first. You saw people that you knew. In your book, you call it a, a welcoming committee. What is a welcoming committee? Of course, I had to think about that. I, I, you know, you have time to reflect on it after it's all over with. I'm thinking, now, why did this particular bunch show up to greet me? I mean, they obviously were there to greet me. I, I'll, I'll say this very definitively. You're not going to sneak up on heaven. <laughs> Everybody up there knows who's coming. No, they do. I mean, we've had people come to Christ today. And I, I guarantee you in heaven, they're singing the names of those people right now because they're being recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life, the registration book of heaven. They know in heaven that these folks are on the way. They may live here for 70 years. We hope they do. But they're going to heaven because they've had a reservation in heaven. Heaven's a prepared place for prepared people. And so the reservation is there. So these people knew I was coming. They were expecting me. But the thing that really, and, 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 they, and they were ready to go when the time came. My grandmother had the stroke. She was 78. Mike was killed in a car crash when he was 18. But they had trusted the Lord at a younger age, and they, and they lost their lives. So they were prepared. And that's why it's urgent that you do the same thing. If you can get killed on the way to church at the age of 38, it can happen at any age. So they all were ready. The other thing they had in common was this. They all helped me get there. Every one of them played a role in my spiritual life. Some of them physically took me to church because I had no other way to go. Some of them gave me a Bible or maybe several. Some of them, well, all of them lived a Christian life in front of them, me so I'd know what one was. They told me about Jesus. They shared Christ with me. And then they lived a Christ-like life. And so I knew it. And I wanted to be one. And so they were so influential in helping me come to Jesus, I had to make the decision myself, but it, 
There were the influencers. I came back after I saw their faces, and I lay there in the hospital bed, and I was thinking, these are the people who helped me get there. But here's what I really thought. If that's the case, who am I going to greet? And I want to ask you the same question. Who's going to be in heaven because of you? I think that's why we're still here. I think that's probably why we don't rapture when we get saved. You know, I've seen deathbed conversions. I've seen people who, who, who come to Christ and then they die. Well, that's, that's cutting it close. I mean, glo- thank God for it. Glory to God for it. But what about your life now? And that goes back to the question, what do you have to show for your life up to this point? I think we're here to help others get there. And, and you know people who you need to bring to church, and you know people who you need to tell about Jesus, where you work and where you go to school and in your family, uh, down the street from you, um, at, at, at the store. I mean, we, we have much work to do, and I think that's why we're still here. So I had to get in my truck to figure that out. I hope, I hope we don't. Um, but that, that was my greeting committee. They, they were there. They were expecting me. They were fantastic. And I, I, they've, been, they've been joined by a lot of other people since then, many whom I have conducted the funerals for myself. And uh, now the, the committee's bigger. I can't wait to see them all again. But in the meantime, we're trying to get people into heaven and help them have a better trip on the way. Let me ask you, um, this committee... When you died on January the 18th, 1989, there were people that you saw in that committee that had died years prior to that. Yes. But in your book, you mentioned that you didn't get the idea that they had been waiting for you. No, no heaven is linear. It, it's going forward, but it is, there's no elapse of time. There is no time in heaven. There's no birth in heaven. There's no death in heaven, so there's no age in heaven. We're not aging. Aging is a process here. A child is a process. Being elderly is a process. Not in heaven. There's just no aging process. It is, and this is hard for us earthbound people to wrap our brains around. It is eternal. It goes on forever. And so that forever part of it means that the people there are not waiting. Now, I know in a heavenly sense they're still raiding because I may live for three more years or five more years, and when I get there, they'll be there. But they're not, there's no time elapsing there. People often ask me, do people in heaven miss me? No, they expect you, and no time is passing for them. So when you get there, I don't think you'll even remember you were separated here because that wouldn't be heavenly, would it? No, you'll just join them and live forever together there are no goodbyes in heaven, only hellos. And see, the, the word that he used in, in the previous service was pivot. They arrive. Yeah. Let me make sure I'm saying this right. They, right. they arrive in heaven. Now, in our world, they got to heaven 20 years ago, exactly. 30 years ago. Exactly. But in heaven, they arrive, and then they pivot, right. and then there you are. We'll be right behind them. Yeah. yeah. In a heavenly sense. In a heavenly sense. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Um, what did you, you talked in your book um, uh, about what you heard when yes. you were there. Yes. But what did you hear? Well, heaven is, is really, uh, I think I described the book as a buffet for the senses. It is, you know, the senses that we have here are so elevated there uh, when I saw the gates, it was so brilliant that I would have been blinded if I had earthly eyes, but I didn't. All the senses are so heightened there, like exponentially. 
the things I smelled, the aromas of heaven, the sights of heaven, the sounds of heaven. I didn't taste anything, but I knew if I, if I did, and I will, uh, we'll eat in heaven. I mean, God wants all of his children. At the table, we don't eat there for sustenance. We eat there for fellowship, uh, and we're ahead of the curve on this, aren't we, here on earth? We're, we're about to have a fellowship at 1245. That's right. So, we eat here for fellowship. In heaven, we'll eat with fellowship because God wants his children at the table. But we won't eat there to stay alive. I had a lady come up to me one time after service, and she said, is there any chance in heaven I could be a size two? <laughs> and and she, she was not a size two. I said, ma'am, and I, don't know anything, I don't know about sizes in heaven, but you'll be perfect. And she, she threw her head back and laughed, and she said, I'm going anyway. Yeah. And, and then I asked the people standing around her who heard this, are you? Are you? We're taking reservations today. Well, I could smell things. I could, I could see things. It was just kind of overwhelming. And then I heard the music. I'd already gone through the angels. The angels are all over the place. You can hear them and their voices. But the thing that stunned me was their wings. I could hear their wings. And I, I, I'd never really heard anything quite like that. I mean, you go in the woods and flush out a covey of birds and you hear them take off. And that whoosh, that's what it sounds like all the time in heaven. Because there's angels everywhere. One was in the car with me. And certainly I was borne up by the angels when I died. But I could hear the music. The music was my most vivid memory of heaven. I find that a little strange, you know, that, that some of the other stuff, be, and I think it's because it's portable. I bought it back with me. I, uh, I heard all the songs glorifying God because he alone is worthy of our worship. And they were singing hallelujah and praise the Lord and glory to God and all manner of things and lifting it up to the throne of God. But And one song really kind of transcended the other and it was holy, 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 holy. Because he is. He is holy. And this is his place. And so we're all glorifying God and I began to sing with them which is not one of my gifts. I, I have witnesses. I, I come from a very musical family. They all play instruments. They all sing very well. I do not. They got it all from their mother, obviously, who's a very talented and gifted musician and singer. Uh, but in heaven, I sang well, and I sang with a choir, and I couldn't even avoid it. I wanted to do it. I was praising God, which is one of our biggest jobs in heaven, our responsibilities to praise God. And you won't, you won't have to think about it. You'll just do it. It comes naturally. All this cacophony of songs that would be unbearable here, all these songs, I could distinguish each one of them with my heavenly ears, separate them, and hear each one of them, and I can still hear them now. And the more tired I grow here, the louder that music gets. Um, I want you to hear them. And I think God wants you to hear them too. They're for God, but we get to listen. Okay. He's the audience. And, uh, but you have to be prepared. Heaven, as I said, is a prepared place for prepared people. One of the last things Jesus said before he left, he was executed, is I go to prepare a place for you. And I want to say to you, you're going to have to be prepared for the place. And that means a decision. You're not going because you're good. You're not going because you're a church member. You're not going, you're going because you're in an authentic, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's the only way I got there when I was run over by the truck. I just wasn't planning to die that day. You got to be ready. So you, you're hearing all this, 
the committee is is moving you forward and then you see the gates what what did the gates look like and then in your book you talk about not only what the gates look like but you looked through the gates and and tell us what you saw when you looked through well the gates of course are pearl uh, there are 12 gates in heaven three on each side of the great city I encourage you to read Revelation 21. You're going to get some details in there about the street, the gates, uh, all those kinds of things. Um, the new name that Jesus receives, the lamp of God. And uh, so the gate is very ornate, very elaborate, and it's, it's, it's made out of pearl. I, I, it was pulsating with what I could see as life, except that it was just the light reflecting off the gate. No sun or moon, of course. God illuminates heaven, and Jesus is the lamp. And so I'm basking, that's reflecting of the gate. It's quite elaborate. But the entrance is small by comparison. I think it's because we go in one at a time. You know, the Bible says what narrow is the way, and, the, and, and it is. So I'm going in now, and I can see the street. And, and the Bible is singular on this, not plural, the street of gold. And it goes right down the middle of the city, and it's magnificent. It is so pure, you can see through it. Well, we can't do that with gold here, but in heaven you can. That's how pure the street is. So it's a street of gold, structures on both sides of it that are quite ornate, very elaborate, quite beautiful. I think those are the mansions that God has prepared for each of us. My Father's house are many mansions, Jesus said. And uh, beyond that is a pinnacle high lifted up in the middle of the city. And, and I, I, I know that the brightest light of all is coming from that pinnacle. And there are thrones up there. There is a, a river flowing from that, the, the river of life. And, and there is the tree of life over here beside it, the one that we couldn't eat of here, but we can't eat of there. And it's just overwhelming. There are no earthly words to do justice to this. It's the most real thing that's ever happened to me. I was so motivated at this time, uh, not really getting over the wonderful reunion I've just experienced and welcome. I want to go through the gates. The wall of heaven is thick. It's over 20 feet thick. I want to go inside, I want to go down that street, I want to climb that hill and just fall at the feet of the great God of all creation and, and say, thank, thank you for letting me come, thank you. But I, I never did get a chance to do that. I, I did move through the gates. I'm enraptured with the music, I'm, I'm surrounded by the aromas, I'm, I'm just overwhelmed. I'm not thinking about earth. I'm not thinking about what's going on down here because I knew the people I loved were behind me. They were coming. I'm focused on this. And I'm walking through the gates and suddenly it all stopped. I, I, like in an instant, I found myself in silence and darkness. And I was so confused. I wanted to cry out and say, what, what's going on? What, what happened? I just arrived. But before I could even say that, before I could even verbalize, I, I heard a voice out of the darkness, not in front of me, it was behind me, and it was that preacher in that car, in the dark, singing that song, and I was singing it with him, and I had no idea what had happened to me. And then I came back to uh, that last photo there with me in the bed, and I, I lay there in the bed like that, and the next one for 13 months. And um, every day of my life I lay there looking up, because looking up is the only direction I could face, and ask the same question you would have asked after this, why did you let me see that and take it away from me? And the answer I have today is so I could be at 
Celebration Church, I tell you to your face, heaven is real, and Jesus is the way. Um, that was the, the, the moment of the book. I was so enraptured in the book. It is a riveting read. And then he says, and then I came back. And I was like, no. <laughs> I was saying the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I want to hear more. Um, but we'll get to see more together. Um, would you bow your head and close your eyes, everybody in the room? And nobody looking around. Let me ask you a question. If your heart were to stop beating in the next five minutes, are you 100% sure you know where you'd spend eternity? If the answer is no, but today's the day where you get more serious than you ever have been, would you just raise your hand right where you're at? Nobody looking around. Would you just raise your hand right where you are? Hands are going up all over the room. You can put your hands down now. Can we all stand to our feet for me, please? And as you're standing, if our prayer partners would come down. The Bible talks about in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that everyone, everywhere, when you worship, worship with your hands raised. But I, I like to think about it how, that it's an outward expression of how you feel on the inside. You're just saying, I surrender. And if that's how you feel towards the Lord, and if you feel comfortable with it, could everybody in the room just raise both hands? And let's invite the Lord into our heart with this simple prayer. Can we all just say these words? Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. Would you please forgive me? I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. Give me your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name. Amen. You know, my, my wife got on a plane early this morning. She bought the ticket yesterday, and she um, got on a plane early this morning and flew back to Vancouver. She was in Vancouver for a couple weeks visiting her dad because he's, unless a miracle takes place, he's going to pass away. And she wants to spend some more time with him, so she flew out. And uh, it's, it's a tough time for our family. I say that to say that it's, we know what it feels like, the Mazapikas, my family, we know what it feels like to go through a tough season. And if you're going through a tough season this morning, I just want you to know there are people down here that would like to pray with you. There are a lot of people that believe that God can do a miracle, but these people believe that God will work a miracle. And so if you would, uh, if you want someone to pray with you, I'd like to invite you to come out of your seat. And take the hand of somebody down here and let them pray with you. For the rest of us, uh, there's no official dismissal. You can leave whenever you get ready. But let's sing this song one time through before you go. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May his face shine down upon you. May his countenance be lifted up on you and deliver you. And may the grace and peace of God be with you all the days of your life. In Jesus' name, amen.